Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. The question is this, are you a trendy person? Are you a trendy person? Now, young kids would say, of course they are, because they know what's hip and what's not hip, right? And I remember in my 20s, actually it was in, it was in, um, it was in high school, really. I went from a private school to a, to a public school, and I remember what was cool and trendy in a private school was not cool and trendy in a public school. And so I remember going my first day going, this is not going to work. One of these things just does not belong here. And so I had to, I went home that day and I said, Mom, Mom, we got to do something. We've got to get me a whole new wardrobe. She's like, what? Because I am the type of guy that never would ask for anything. So I would, if I asked my mom to go shopping, she'd be like, okay, well, let's go because I never asked for anything. And so I remember going to this, this, you remember this, it's, it's this store and I walk in and, you know, they got it in the nineties, obviously stripes were in and you had shirts, stripes, and you can see the nineties coming back with the Birkenstocks, right? Late nineties. So I go in there, mom, we got to get this. I need some of this, this, and this, and this. And so I wanted to be trendy. I wanted to be fit in ultimately, really wanted to be hip, fit in. Because you're going in a freshman year in a high school and you don't want to be the odd person out. But isn't there true that you can start to be trendy when you're a kid, but now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, I'm just not cool. I'm not trendy and I embrace it. And it's so much so, I think, and if you're a dad and just don't take this wrong, but I think sometimes dads, what we do is we get stuck in a trend. We get stuck in high school or we get stuck in college and it's like we never leave that era. So all of our clothes and our hairstyle is from that time. I know that's true for me. And so here's here's with my kids too. They'll say, if you went to my kids today and you said, hey, is your dad cool or trendy? They'd go, no. And they go, well, why not? Because he has shirts in his closet that are over five years old. <laughs> no joke. I mean, I can't remember the last time I bought a new t-shirt. It's at least two, three years old. But all that to say is, Here's what I'm saying. In the world, whether you're trendy or not, we live in a world that is trendy. And whether you embrace it or not, the world embraces it. Right? The world embraces this trendy idea and we're obsessed about it. We're obsessed about certain people who are trendy and things that trend. Right? There are music trends. There are business trends. There are fashion trends. And there are what? Social media trends, believe it or not now, right? You can go on Twitter and they'll say, this is trending. If you go on Yahoo, this search is trending. Then if you're anything like me, you'll look it up like, why is this trending? And so we have all this, uh, this idea that we live in this trendy world. Now, when it comes to technology, technology is trendy, but it also fades away as well. Now, I don't remember if you remember this, but do you remember when this was cool? Some of you are like, what in the world is this? Yes, that's why I'm not trendy. I have the original iPhone. I have the original iPhone, right? Now it's got a cracked screen and the silencer kind of rattles. But you remember, I see, I remember vividly when this came out. 
Okay, I even like it because it fit in my pocket. Okay, so I didn't buy this. Someone gave this to me. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yes, I love technology. This is great. This is awesome. I'm showing all my friends. I'm like, friends, you got it? That's like $500. Are you kidding me? I said, oh, I was gifted it. It's amazing. Look, now I don't have to carry around my iPod. You remember your iPod with the no color screen and the wheel for some of you? So I had no longer had to carry my iPod or my phone. I had it all in one. And so what I, it, what ended up happening though, it was, it, there came with, um, one stipulation. I had to change all my services to what? AT&T, because AT&T was the only one that was covering at the time. So I remember when this was trendy. Now we look at this and go, dude, that fits in your hand. Like that's too small. <laughs> like there's a problem. So the, the reason why I, I say all that and the reason why I tell you trends and, and things of such nature is because we do live in this trendy world. But it's good to know principles of trends. Okay, it's good to know principles of trends because I think we need to invest, and we'll talk about this, invest in things that gain value over time, unlike this phone. But the reason I say that is because as we talk about this idea for the next three weeks, there's this over kind of arching principle bottom line that is for this whole series, and it's this, in a timeless world... The best things in life are timeless. In a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. And we'll we'll discuss that. Now, think about it in terms of this. In other words, we want to live our lives in such a way that impact other people. That other people see our lives and notice there's something different and go, well, I, I, I want that. And when you come to, to impact in your lives and, and, and things of, of such nature, we want to be people who invest in things that stand the test of time. See, no one wants to invest in something that is going to fade out or be done in, in a short period of time. And so what, what ends up happening is, and what we need to do is this, is this series is we're going to look at, again, three principles that don't lose value over time, but they actually gain value over time. Right, And they're, they're pretty much three timeless principles that we're going to talk about. And the reason why I talk about it, because it comes down to, honestly, the concept of truth. And so we're going to talk about this. And you're probably thinking today, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, okay, well, this, how is this? Or are you talking about trends and you're talking about timeless things? How is this going to help me for today? Like, how is this going to ha- help me in the next seven days? Better yet, Tuesday's coming, and what are you talking about? How is that going to help me? Well, we'll get there, because I believe what we have to say today is going to be very helpful for you, not only for the next seven days, but for the rest of your life. So as we begin to talk about this and understand this, here's what you you, you got to understand, that we you have the potential, as we talk about the principle today, you have the potential to dra- dramasi- dra- excuse me, drastically change your life. Not for the next seven weeks, for years to come. This principle might be the best principle that you will know, and it might give you a greater perspective over your next week. Maybe any perspective you've ever had, it'll give you a great perspective on life over the next seven weeks. So with, with, with that, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you kind of this principle. We'll get into what we're talking about, but let me just unveil this timeless truth to you. And here's what it is. How you view eternity determines how you live life today. 
Okay, let me say that again. How you view eternity determines how you live today. Now, it's, it's timeless, and when you think of that terms, you think of eternity, right? Eternity is timeless, correct? And when you think of eternity, you think of what? Heaven. And so let's just talk about this moment, this for a second when it comes to heaven, okay? When it comes to heaven, do you know that they took a poll, a Gallup poll years ago, a few years ago back, said that 81% of people believed in heaven? 81%. Now think about that for a second. 81% of America can agree on something. We can't agree on anything anymore, can we? Let alone 81% of people in America agree on something. So when it came this back a few years back, when they said, hey, do you believe in heaven? 81% said they believed in heaven. But the problem is they kind of had this misunderstanding because it was kind of complex or it kind of gave off this fantasy idea of what heaven is. So there's kind of this gap. Yeah, I believe in heaven, but I don't know much about it. So there's this gap. Because isn't it true that there's an old saying and the saying goes like this. Well, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all know we're going to die. But we don't want to, we don't want to get there yet. And so there's kind of this kind of gap. Yeah, I believe in the afterlife. I believe in eternity. But it's so complex. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. And I, I don't want to die, but I know what happens after. So when we talk about eternity, here's where we begin. There's this gap. But let me tell you why there's this gap from I believe in it to it's complex. Now, the reason why that is, is because the view that people give of eternity. Correct? If, if I asked you right now what heaven or your picture of heaven would be, you know the first thing that you come to you is clouds, sky, right? Not only that, you'd say, oh my gosh, there's people walking around in their clouds and all you see is the waist up and they're walking around in the clouds. Right? And then we have this idea that there are people who went before us, our grandmas, our grandpas, our moms, our dads, and they're up there and they're looking down upon us. And they're, yay. Or they become our guardian angels. Right? So you have this kind of this distorted picture of heaven that people kind of have. And it's, uh, and also, we get this picture of halos. Get the picture of harps and singing and choirs and all this stuff going on, right? And so it's kind of this, this awkward thing where we kind of feel like, okay, is this really what we're going to do? Because that doesn't seem really fun or I don't fully understand it. It's kind of complex. Is that really how it is? And when people begin to understand that and look at it and that's their view or their picture of heaven, they kind of go, well, that's kind of boring. And this life is a little bit better than that. But they don't under, fully understand what eternity is all about. They don't fully understand heaven. So if you don't fully understand it, you can't... See, we can't, in our minds, we can't think of it goes on forever. Because for us, right, there's a timeline. You live, you die. You start off young, you get old, you die. I mean, that's just it is. So it's hard for us to think of this something that goes on forever. And so there's this gap that, that takes place, and we think it's boring. And the problem is, is not only 
Now, do we have this picture? But you know, this is, this is true, that Hollywood does not give us a true description of heaven either. I mean, think about it. We've kind of got down. I went through a few mu- movies this week with um, things of heaven in them. I, I went to uh, one movie where heaven or eternity was in the movie was described as a, a man walking through a field of, of wheat. And not even color. It's like in this bluish tint. And he's walking through, and that's like the afterlife for him. That's like eternity for him. And then I, I went through another movie, and it, it recently came out. It's an animated movie. And it's like this, this character who was animated, this animal, got to, got to heaven, got to the afterlife, and all of a sudden he had all the food he could eat. And I'm thinking, okay, so we're teaching our kids that when you get to heaven, you have all the food you can eat. And then I watched an older movie when I was a kid that I remembered. That was about these dogs. And the picture of these dogs going to heaven was that they were in taking naps in a cool 72-degree room. And they were chilling, and they had all their food and that. And now think about this. Maybe you've seen this movie. But we've come to the spot in our movies where we've kind of brought heaven to a place where it's a white building. There's nothing in it. And God supposedly is mopping. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we've come to that place where God is in this building mopping. Like, so what is the, what's the issue there? See, the issue is, is we believe in heaven, but it's been distorted. So we fully don't understand exactly what heaven and eternity is all about. So there's that, again, there's that gap. So we think living here is better than eternity. So what do we do with that? And how do you go that? See, because even I've heard, and I've heard this and it's very sad, but I've heard people because they don't understand heaven. I've actually heard people when they joke whether I was working or whether I was just walking by, they kind of joke, joke, and here's what happens is when they make a mistake, they go, oh, I'm going to hell. And I kind of like, okay. Or they go, oh, and they kind of joke a little bit more, oh, you're, you're going to hell with me. Right? Oh, and they say, sometimes people say, well, it's okay, we'll both be together, we're friends. And see, but they have this distortion of the afterlife, the distortion of eternity. Like, none of us would say that, would we? Nobody wants to be in hell. But yet, when you don't have a a concept of what happens when you die, it's all fun and games. It's a joke. But see, here as Christians, we would never say, hey, I hope I go to hell. But here's what we do say. God, will you please not come back till my honeymoon? I've said that. Check. Okay, you can come back now, Jesus. Or, hey, Jesus, don't come back till after spring break. Don't come back till after I have kids. Don't come back till after I have this business deal. Don't come back until, and you can put anything in there. But we kind of say, Jesus, you just hold off for a second while I experience life. Right? I need to experience life. And so what we're ultimately telling God is, what you have is good, but what I have is better here. And, and I need to experience life, so please don't come back. Because, again, we have this distorted view that this life is the best possible thing. And if I, I haven't experienced it, and if I haven't experienced it, I can't die yet. And you can't come back, Jesus. So, please, I need you to just hold off for a second. Would you just do that? And so, we, we, again, we, we have this, this idea... And we kind of bind this myth of heaven that 
heaven and eternity doesn't affect our lives today. That somehow, now when we talk about heaven, when we talk about eternity, what we think is, oh, we can think about that later. Right? That really has no bearing on my life today. So we just kind of put it in the back of our minds, kind of to, it's in the back, and we just kind of go on with our lives. We kind of just are faced with what we have to do in that particular day. Monday comes, we face it. Tuesday comes, we face it. We don't really think of our lives in terms of eternity until we're on our deathbed or until we're sick or until something really happens. So when, when it comes to this, here's what I want to again say, that when it's your view of eternity that determines and affects how you live today. So you know what that means? Here's what it means for you and me. That, that business deal or how you conduct business is far more important than you thought. When your child stands up for Christ in school, it's bigger than you thought. When you see in light of heaven, and when you look through the scriptures in the Bible, and you see heaven, and you see eternity, you'll understand this, that the way you spend your money is far more important than you really thought. See, and you can add this to anything. You can add this to your marriage. You can add it to relationships. You could add it to life in general. It means that your day is far, and the things you do in your day is far more important than you ever thought they would be. And so when we come to this, you, you got to understand that the wrong mental image of heaven holds us and pulls us back, and we want to stay here, and we want to be and do all we can right here because we want to experience life. See, we want to hang on for dear life. But in reality, when you understand the scriptures, when you understand what God says, there's a bigger and better vision for life. It's greater than you can ever think or imagine. So today what we're going to do is we're going to dive in. We're going to dive into scriptures and you can turn to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 65, I'm going to go through many scriptures today. But let me just tell you this, two things before we start. First of all, if you've ever been somewhere and someone tells you, hey, you got to check this out, usually they've been there, right? Okay? So you want to follow someone or hear from someone who knows where they're going and what they're doing. Well, today, I obviously never been to heaven, don't know anybody's been to heaven, but I'm not going off of me, I'm going off the Lord and I'm going off scripture. So today, scripture is going to define this idea of heaven and eternity. Second thing is, when you talk about heaven in Scripture, there is heaven before Christ comes back, and there's heaven in eternity when Christ reappears. So as we look through Scriptures, what you will see is you will see that this time frame is after Christ appears and he returns back again. Now, look, there's many discussions, many theories on when that happens. That's another series and for another day. I'm just talking about eternity. All right, so with that, we're talking about um, Isaiah. The, the people are in captive here, and he des- decides to uh, write this. He, the Lord tells him to, to put this down, and here's what it says in 65, verse 17. It says this. He says, See, I will create a new heaven and new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. A new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. Okay, we'll discuss a little bit further. Basically, 
what's going to happen is he's going to come back and he, he makes new heaven, new earth, rules for a thousand years. Okay, so God's going to rule for a thousand years. And so what we know is when he makes this, when he says that it will, they, will, uh, they will not be reminded or remembered nor that come to his mind, it'll be so great that you will remember the former earth, the former heaven. It'll be so, it, was, it'll be amazing. And so what he begins to say is this, in the, in the context as he creates this new heaven and new earth, in the context he can begin to say like the exiles are going back to the new Jerusalem, but even in this context, as he's talking about people returning back to Jerusalem, there's a sense of the future as well. Because when he says, nor will they have things come to mind, Isaiah also talks about, in which John discussed in Revelation, says what? There will be no crying, no mourning. None of that will happen. So when this takes place, you will not remember the former things, and you no more crying, no more tears, no more shed. So that's what kind of Isaiah is doing. And then to make his point even clear, God says this in verse 66, the next chapter over, he says, as the new heavens and the new earth, I will make, I will endure before me, so will your name and descendants endure. So again, there's that concept of a new heaven and a new earth. So you got to understand that new heaven and new earth is, is kind of monumental here. And you have to understand exactly what he's talking about in this new heaven and new earth. And, and the phrase is seen throughout generations. It's seen throughout the Bible. And God is not silent when it comes to eternity. It's very clear. Let's it puts it out on the table for you and I to know. It's not a secret. And so what I want you to do is in one of the books, we're going to go to 2 Peter now so you can flip all the way back to the back of your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. And again, it talks about that God's not silent about eternity. And he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Again, it's this concept of keeping in mind of this new heaven, new earth. And he says this. Peter says, In keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's that phrase again. New heaven, new earth. What does that mean? That the cosmic system that exists right now be gone. There'll be a new one. He's going to make a new heaven, new earth. Very clear. And so what Peter says is, we're not supposed to look to the destruction of the earth and destruction of the heaven. We are looking for forward look to the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because that's where righteousness dwells. And for him, it's kind of like that's where we're going to dwell. Because, and why is it righteousness? Because the righteous one, the holy God, Lord Almighty, is going to be there. See, presently in this world is what? Evil. Evil currently resides in this world. And now what Peter says, there's going to be a new earth and a new, in a new uh, heaven where evil will not exist. Righteousness. It's God's righteousness because he is there. And, and again, Peter says that we will, what? Righteousness dwells. And the people of righteousness will dwell. So, understanding that, you got the new heaven and new earth. So, and, and as you think of that, now what you got to understand is there's two words with this idea of new. I, I wrote them down here. There's neos and kanios. Okay, there are two words used for new. The, the first one, right? The first one, neos, is just referring to something new. Kanios refers to this. It is restoring something to its original intent. 
So when he says new earth and new heavens, he's using that word canio. So God is going to what? Bring about a new earth and a new heaven back to its what? Original intent. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. So God is about restoring. So when Jesus came back, he restored man. He restored us. But when he comes back, he's restoring what? The earth. He's restoring what was intended to be. The intent of his creation. So when he begins to say this, and you think, okay, but now here's what you're thinking. You're still thinking in your minds. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful, right? So it's not going to be this church service. It's not going to be this kind of singing and, and all this. And there will be a time for that. But let's just talk. I'm just talking about in this terms of new heaven and new earth. And the thing, the thing about, about this is, you know a little bit about heaven more than you think you do. Let's think about this. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were in paradise. They didn't go, I can't wait to get to heaven. There was no sin, was there? There was no evil. It was a, it was a great relationship with God. There was, there was nothing in that, that tainted the world. How God made it, that was the original tent right there. Look, Genesis said what? God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. See, so there, so you got to understand that God is returning it back to that time. There's no sin. There's no evil. There's no nothing. But even as you think about that, you're thinking, okay, well, how in the world or what in the world does that have to do with me today? How does that, so you're telling me this is going to happen or, and this is what will take place. Well, what does that mean for me today? Because I'm still on earth and I'm still going and still doing my thing. Well, here's what I want you to do. You got to understand there's a misconception here. And here's the misconception. What you do on this earth determines whether you go to heaven. But once you're there, it's the same for everybody. It's a misconception. So what you do here on earth determines where whether you go to heaven. True, you decide to follow Jesus or not and accept him as your savior. But once you are there, it's the same for everybody. It's not. It's not. Because if you turn your Bible, now you could turn back to Corinthians... Paul would say it's not the same for everybody. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he begins to kind of lay out what is going to happen. And in 5 verse 10, it says this, For we all, excuse me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone may receive what them is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So it's motivating Paul. It's motivating Paul. He understands, look, what I do in my body, good or bad, I will be accountable for. So whether I'm here in the body and I'm, and I'm away from my home, he would say, or it will lessen when I get to heaven and I'm, and I'm in my home. He says, whether I, what I did good or bad while I was on here on earth, I got to stand before the Lord for that. And so as Paul, his goal was always what? Honoring the Lord, pleasing God. And his knowledge that one day he would be evaluated by, by God, it, it basically contributed to how he lived life and the way he did things. And it's not just for Paul. It says, for we all will appear. Every Christian will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. And it's kind of scary, and you're thinking, oh, well, well that's that's 
kind of scary, but the the perspective and the prospect of eternity helped Paul live his life. And he was determined to live for God, but also it made him e- it made it easier for him kind of with his ministry as well. His choices and the things he did were based on this. And for you and I, Paul would say this as well, that we'll all, we all, we'll all be evaluated, good or bad. We will be rewarded to what we have done. But he talks about it in Romans 14, and here's what he says in Romans 14. He says, do not judge, for you will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And then in Matthew, Jesus says, look, you will be accountable for everything you have spoken at the judgment seat. So you will be accountable. Now, that's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of like, oh, man, God's kind of noticing. God's kind of watching. He's taking notes. But the thing about this is it can seem unsettling because it is. It can seem a little scary because it is. But when you come to the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to reward you on what you have done. It's not going to punish you. You get rewarded on or not what you have done in this life. It's not a matter of salvation. It's not like, oh, you're going to hell. No, it's just, hey, good and faithful servant, well done. What did you do in this life? So it's not a, it doesn't determine your salvation. That's your faith in Jesus, right? Uh, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. So it's not, that's, not, that's not the issue here. The issue is, is what did you do in this life? And he rewards you according to what you did in this life. And see, for some of us, it's hard for us to, to imagine this, but and it's a little bit scary, but here's, it comes down to impacting eternity. That for most of us standing in, or sitting in this room and, and here today, we must have eternity in view. And what we tend to do, though, is we tend to live life as if things that are not like really eternal, but the things that are hitting us in the face, things that are urgent, things we have to get done, things that we have to do, that's what the pressing issue is, and that's how we view life. And, and we go through this life, and, and what happens is, is if we function not with eternity in mind, then all of a sudden eternity goes to the back of our minds, and it goes to that blind spot, and all of a sudden we start to live for ourselves and not for the Lord. Again, how you, did, how you view eternity affects how you live today. And if it's in the back of your mind, then you're not living with eternity in mind. You're not living with this impression of this is what I'm going to do and it's going to stand the test of time. And the choices I make is going to stand the test of the time. You're more concerned with what you got to get done and, and, and it's about you. And so when you, when you come to this, here's what I want you to understand. In light of this, I want you to understand this. Every day matters. Every day matters. You know what this means? I, I, wrote, I wrote this down. That when you conduct your business with integrity, there will be a day where you stand before the Lord and he goes, good and faithful servant. There will be a day when you begin to walk and be a light in your work. 
And someone might just see your light and might turn towards Jesus and have a relationship with him and you say, good and faithful servant. When you raise your kids, when the, the things you do that are godly, that are the things that he wants you to do in life, he, you just come to him and he says, good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I don't always get it right. I'll be the first to, to admit, I don't always get this right. I'm imperfect just like you. But there is a day where I want to that my choices and the things I do will affect eternity and stand the test of time. The way I treat people, the way I, I, I do things, the, the choices I make, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids. I want the Lord to say, good and faithful servant. That's what you want. But you can't do that if, etern- if you're not living for eternity. If you're just living for the now. I know, don't, don't even. Okay, so... Here's, here's what I, here's just for me. And here's my response. I'll just be honest with you. I just said I don't get it right. And there's more often times or not, I don't get this right. I try. But I'll tell you what, when I do get this right, here's what happens for me. When I start to live with eternity in view, I start to make choices that will stand the test of time. So I'll tell you this. Compassion doesn't run naturally for me. Let's just be honest. My kids will tell you, fall down, get up. You're not hurt, right? But here's the thing. When I see and view the eternity and living for eternity, I have a heart the way God has a heart. And I have compassion for people. And I go, man, they just need to know Jesus. He loves them. I view them in a different light. I respond differently. When I, when I view eternity, I'm not always crabby. I'm not always cranky. I'm not irritable. I have more patience. You know what else I do? I walk through life and I live as a light. It's not about me. I want people to see Jesus through me. See, it changes for me. And it should change for you. So here's the question. Imagine this. It's if we're a church, as a church, what if we began to live as eternity in view, that it was in the front forefront of our mind. What if we began to say, okay, eternity is what we need to do and what we need to live for, and that's the site we're going for, and it's going to affect our, our lives today. So as a church, what do you think that looks like? You know what it looks like? It looks like when you go to, to, to work that you are a light for Jesus, that you begin to see, you can hold off on that, you can begin to see and understand exactly what's going on. And you and people will begin to see something different in your life. Think about this. As a church, if we begin to see eternity in view, you know what is most important to us? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the most important thing. And so what happens is we begin to reach this community for God. That's what we do. And it's through our choices, it's through our lives, it's through how we raise our kids, it's how we treat our wives, how we treat our husbands. It's all of that. And so all of a sudden people begin saying, there's something different about that church on Kermit Highway. Well, you know what the difference is? Is where we are looking not just to this earth, we're looking to eternity. We're looking for things that stand the test of time. And guess what? When it comes down to it 100 years from now, the only thing that matters, and I love what Reggie Joyner says, he says this, your relationship with God is the only thing that matters. 
It's the only thing that matters in 100 years from now. So we want to stand the test of time as a church and as individuals. And so what we have to do is this, is we have to begin to re, re, uh, refocus, I would say. It's not about us. It's so easy to get in the me mentality. It's so easy to view uh, our life in just what we can get out of it and, and what pleasure and pleases us. But you got to think of what's going to happen. The choices you make have a ripple effect in echo into eternity. And so we, as a church, we need to begin to live like that, respond like that. And then so our lives can be significant and others begin to see. See, isn't it true this? Isn't it true that everyone wants their life to count? I don't know anybody who wakes up and goes, man, I hope I have a miserable day and my life's terrible. I hope I, I, I never achieve anything in life. Nobody does that, right? And honestly, if we're all honest with ourselves, let's just be honest. Deep down inside, there's this little secret that all of you have that when you die, people show up to your funeral. Right? Deep down inside, you're hoping someone shows up. You're hoping you touch somebody's life. You hope you touched a, a bunch of people's lives. That they would come up here and say good things and the impact that you had on their life. But look, you've got to impact people for eternity. Impact relationships, your marriage, your boss, your coworker, the people, anyone and everyone for the kingdom of God. You make a lasting impression on them. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.